From a media perspective, I think there is going to be only a need for more and more personalized content and particularly for underserved audiences. I think that we've seen this emergence already, but that that's only going to grow that more kind of like grassroots, authentic, and again, really personalized content that feels like it's actually created for me. This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. JC, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big fan of, of watching what you guys are building. My co-founder, Becca, raves about you uh, and is like, you have to talk to this person. It's going to be so great. So excited to dive into to the gist and, uh, and also to hear a little bit more about how you're thinking about the media industry. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I'm excited to be here. And we are, of course, huge fans of Becca's as well. So good vibes kind of all around there. This podcast could be called the Becca Sherman Fan Show, uh, so that's that's okay. Well, if you don't mind, Ed, would you introduce yourself a bit and give everyone a little bit of a download of what just the gist is up to? So I am JC DeHoop, one of the co-founders and our head of revenue at The Gist. The Gist is a female-founded sports media startup. We are really all about making sports more inclusive, more accessible and really more fun to underserved sports fans. My co-founders and I were lifelong athletes, like huge sports fans our entire lives, previously came from the finance world. So, you know, very corporate, very male dominated. And in that kind of environment really saw how sports can unfortunately just still really feel like this boys club and can still have that exclusionary nature to it, especially when you don't look or act like that kind of traditional, avid, oftentimes male fan. So we really wanted to create something that was kind of the exact opposite of that that boys club mentality around sports. So we created The Gist in 2018. We are really a content experiences community all around sports. Our main channel has been our newsletter, which we're just coming up on 500,000 newsletter subscribers But we've also really taken our voice, our structure, the way that we speak to sports and about sports and translate it to social channels, um, as well as our podcast. And really, it's kind of feels like it's just the beginning in terms of different channels and and areas that we can kind of expand into. I think um, something to keep in mind in terms of the actual content that we're creating is that it's very kind of by and for a more underserved fan. I think the key difference in our content is that we're talking about sports in that female voice and from that female perspective that we really felt like was missing in the industry. And then a key thing as well is that we provide at least equal coverage or 50-50 coverage of men's professional sports as well as women's professional sports, recognizing that you know, women's professional sports just don't get enough coverage. And as a female sports fan, that was an area um, that we just felt like was really kind of lacking in the media industry. If you look at all of the ESPN, all of the biggest players, it's not even close to, I don't know the math on the top of my head, but I'd guess it's not even 90-10. Yeah, it's uh, pretty dismal um, overall. But, you know, I think even from when we first sent out our very first newsletter in 2018, kind of end up into 2019 to now, we have seen such a shift in the space too, where there is a lot more media attention, media coverage, so many more storylines around female athletes, like the space is really exploding in a really positive way. 
But yeah, the numbers aren't great right now. <laughs> well, and I, I love it. You're trying to change the narrative of like, like one that covering female sports is a business because that's mm -hmm. the argument that you get from the ABC execs is say like, well, we just like don't get the eyeballs and you're proving otherwise. Totally. Uh, you've grown so fast and for three and a half, four years uh, with your newsletter. It's you send it out twice a week, I believe, uh, Mondays and Thursdays or more. We're actually four times weekly now. Wow. Um, we started off every Monday and, you know, classic where we were kind of figuring out the content and the voice and the length and, and a lot of things really and really focused on the newsletter. But we kept growing our subscriber base and we kept also hearing from gisters that they wanted more frequent content. So we're four times weekly now. And then, you know, our social content is daily, multiple times daily kind of thing. And then our podcast is twice weekly. And when you were expanding the team, I think one of the one of the biggest mistakes that media companies that are like creating a company to solve a problem, like which you've already taken one step that most media companies aren't doing, which is like rinse and repeating. Oh, I can make money here. They're not like solving a real problem. But but you're really doing that. But how did you look for your talent? You have to have obviously people that believe in the mission that like are qualified in sports coverage and has this ability to like write in a way that can grow an audience. Is there any special sauce of your, your recruitment of like finding people that just match that persona perfectly? It's funny you mentioned that because hiring and recruiting has been very top of mind lately. And I would say that there isn't a special sauce. It's still definitely evolving. I think some of the early success in our hires and building out our content team in particular was actually that we really sought out and brought on kind of non-sports journalists. And, you know, frankly, there aren't a lot of female sports journalists out there too. It's something like 14% and a huge part of the gist was really centering and amplifying more diverse voices in sports. So our entire content team is female identifying, but that also meant that we were really looking outside of somebody that comes from a more traditional sports journalism kind of background. Um, a lot of our content team is also part-time with us. So it also allowed us to really just look for really awesome female sports fans. Our content team is so diverse on like a number of different kind of parameters, but in particular is like, we have some consultants, some engineers, we have some sports journalists for sure, but they all come from different backgrounds. And I think are really fans first, as opposed to, writers first. And that has been really core to our ethos at The Gist, of course, where we're really creating content for that underserved fan. And really everything we do is kind of with that gister in mind. And so it only made sense for us to also hire gisters. So honestly, in the early days and still, still today, so many team members have come from our list. It's somebody who has subscribed, has loved the content, has really gotten a feel for the voice. And those have been a lot of our, our content hires for sure. I will say, I think we're all aware of the kind of shifting landscape over the last year or so. And, and definitely hiring is, can be a challenge, especially as our team is growing and we need more kind of specialized expertise in certain areas. Like hiring has definitely been a challenge for us as well as every other kind of fast growing startup out there. But certainly on the content side, we've been really fortunate to, to be able to grow with really and hire from, from our own community. It's the easiest way is to, I, I was hoping you would say that because like tapping your own, <laughs> tapping your own audience, uh, turning gisters into, to full-time gisters is like the, the perfect avenue. What was the hiring shift when you went from one newsletter, which 
probably you and your two co-founders were writing uh, potentially to two newsletters a week to now four newsletters a week. What was your editorial mindset shift of that specialization? Like you might have had someone at first who was a broad generalist of like women's sports. And then over time, you might be like, there's plenty of coverage here just for one or two sports. Like, let's find a specialist. Have you have you pivoted that way? And how has that affected anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been kind of the different ways to specialize our team and our content has always been something on our minds. I think a key aspect of our content as well is that we really are giving you the gist of what's happening in the sports world. So we're definitely not covering the box scores. It's not the everyday and the ins and outs of what's happening on the sports calendar. It's very much so um, kind of the overarching storylines and oftentimes those intersections of sports and culture and current events and what have you. So keeping that in mind, we decided not to specialize our content team by sports per se, but rather by certain roles. So we do have like kind of content contributors, editors, fact checkers, by those certain roles and more so like in the newsletter creation process where each person is slotting in. One area that we have specialized our team a little bit more is on our local content. So that's a huge aspect to sports, of course, and always been a really core thing for us as sports fans. It's just that I'm here in Vancouver. I'm just, I don't care to hear about the Leafs in Toronto or, or, or what have you. And so we do have certain writers that are writing that specific local or regionalized content, recognizing that sometimes that takes a little bit of local flair and understanding um, and has been a really important aspect of our newsletter content as well. It's interesting that you didn't specialize on sport at first, because I think if you're writing about whatever topic business across any topic, I think a lot of people race to specialize early because they're like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is it. And you can actually draw a bigger area when you're getting started. You're like, you don't know what your audience wants. Like, find someone that's going to write about a lot, and then you can specialize later. Um, when you are, we're growing your audience on your site. It, it says that you have more than seven hundred thousand people in the total ecosystem. Is a huge number. It puts you right. I mean, of emerging media businesses, particularly ones less than four years old, if not like one of the fastest, if the fastest. How have you grown that? What's been the kind of like one or two takeaways? Yeah, there's been a lot of testing, a lot of iterating and really testing new channels, existing channels. We've leaned a ton on other media companies, other newsletters and what their growth playbook has looked like. But we've also seen that that has changed and evolved quite a bit as, you know, Facebook advertising has gone up and down. Other channels have emerged too. We, like a lot of other newsletters, certainly lean on our referral program. And to your point on just really converting gisters into full-timers, we do see our referral program as kind of a part of that funnel as well, where, you know, our most engaged gisters are the ones that are, are really sharing the gist and helping us grow. And they're just like absolute gold to us in so many ways. So certainly our referral program and generally just Gisters hitting forward um, on the the email has been or on the newsletter has been a huge growth driver for us. And then aside from that, we also have grown through quite a few different partnerships. So trying to find other like-minded audiences, whether that's people that already consume a lot of their content through newsletters, whether that's partnering with other brands or companies or media platforms that have an audience with similar value set to ours or just similar demographics to ours. Um, we've certainly found that that kind of co-promotion and that like those partnership growth opportunities have been 
have been pretty huge. And then of course there's, there's paid channels as every fast growing kind of media company leans into. And that's where we do a ton of testing. And there's a lot more of the kind of analytics piece, I think, to that as we're always assessing what our acquisition costs look like and how those subscribers are, are engaging with our content kind of longer term too. But we certainly um, lean into a lot of paid channels too. Question I love to ask new founders that I haven't met before in a space uh, that you're in is how big, how many subscribers do you think the gist could get to? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. And to be honest, like when we're thinking about that total addressable market, we're like every single woman in let's say North America, let's keep it to North America for now, but we're like female identifying hundred person can be a gister. Like there's honestly that number I think is absolutely massive. I think we see the kind of content we're creating and the community that we're building as being very all encompassing. I know when we were first starting out, uh, we got a lot of feedback that it felt like a very niche space or niche audience. So but I think whoever yeah. said that's an idiot. Thank you. Appreciate that. Cause yeah. uh, I think our numbers now in the traction 50% that we've of seen the market show, is a niche. <laughs> yes. That, you know, there are like, if you look at sports as an yeah. industry and just like sports fandom, if you look at women as a, just like demographic, like it's, it's a massive, massive space. So we feel very bullish, I guess, on, what that addressable market is. And, and honestly, I think subscribers is definitely a North star for us. And the newsletter model will continue to be, but it is kind of that total community size as we're expanding into other channels and, and different offerings that I think will become a bit more of a focus because there are just so many different ways that our audience and our impact can grow outside of like written content in a newsletter too. Well, and you know, you obviously have, uh, I would call it like sports emphasis, like heavy sports skew. But I mean, just reading the newsletter, you almost use it. You have the, you know, the whole section of the, the gist picks. And I would say those are like related to sports, but really just like topics like with athletes, et cetera. But it's about other things in the business. And there's like really good examples when you start to look at that of some of the female creators at Barstool who like have similar female centric sports conversations they're the biggest creators at barstool like the 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 market is clearly there and it's really big my question though is that historically most of these newsletter businesses are advertising based um morning brew's gone into like education front office sports which i think is a comp for you guys and in a similar space (laughs) probably more on the male centric side of what you're doing uh with two male founders but um they've leaned into education more recently of a b2b front um you clearly have that avenue uh as the head of revenue how do you see the future of your your revenue diversification yeah it's a great question and something that we are thinking a lot about all the time and honestly are really also as with our content and our content involvement really listening to our gisters on what that's going to look like next i think we have a few hypotheses and certainly the education space, generally like events, community, and that in-person aspect is really compelling to us, which we know Workweek does incredibly well. There's a lot on kind of like mentorship, even awards that that we've seen others do really well and that we've seen demand for from our gisters. But at the same time, we are very kind of gister first and very gister driven, where we have a lot of hypotheses of what our audience wants and how we can kind of monetize next. But 
we're also very aware that there hasn't been another company like ours or audience like ours and that there's still so much to learn about our audience and about female fans and what their relationships with sports is like and how that's evolving. And so some of the things that we've been, have been very top of mind for us right now might be really different in a year. And they honestly have been for us even over the past year, especially we've seen this massive emergence in sports betting and, and just like a multitude of other kind of categories. So I know that's not a straight up answer for you, Adam, but I would say overall, we have a lot of hypotheses and a lot of the, the spaces that you just mentioned that are certainly like top of mind for us, but that we're also kind of trying to, to test in small ways a lot of these other monetization opportunities outside of ad-based revenue um, before we're really leaning into one or two specifically because we've definitely found our audience just is evolving and that there's still a lot more to learn until we feel like we're really able to like step into what that next chapter is going to look like too. And you all have about 30-ish staff, right? Yeah, around there on both full-time and part-time sides. And you raise like about one, 1. 1.4. So my guess is that like you're you're making plenty of money to cover your bills and now you're just taking a step back to look at like what you could do next. Yeah, I mean, I would say you know, being on the on the revenue side, it's always a focus, and we're always uh, we have some very aggressive targets that that we're kind of marching towards this year. It's a really pivotal year for us, but yes, we we chose not to go kind of the VC route in our early days. We've we've kept things relatively kind of like in just like the fundraising landscape, relatively tight or kind of kind of small because we have seen that path to profitability and what that can look like. But yes, to your point, I think when you have that kind of path and you see what that the numbers look like, there isn't also that uh, exact like need, urgent need right now to diversify our revenue when we're seeing a lot of opportunity as well. And a lot of brands that are, I think, stepping up and are very interested in this space. Like we've seen how these sponsorships for women's leagues and female athletes have been just growing enormously over the past couple of years too. So there's still still a lot um, for us there on the kind of ad revenue side. You really, and I would never call it niche because that's a ridiculous statement since there's more women than men in the country. But um, <laughs> when you do have a specific audience, when you say it like in, in, in the way that front office sports just says like, oh, we're sports business, right? Like a little more broad, the topics are more niche, right? But for you all having a specific identifiable audience, which saying like we're for female sports fans, your passion is going to be higher, your relatability is higher. And then like your down funnel is going to be so much better and more effective. And I think like that's what's really exciting about the business and how as you guys grow, you'll have every persona out there within your audience. If you want to go, uh, I used to uh, worked at my fitness pal where our like centric persona was mom because moms control more budget than anybody else uh, from a consumer standpoint to like going business professional with that, that angle, you're going to have so many different personas to build out to call it niche is insane, but call it like having that relatability of a female sports fan, I think actually allows you to go deeper than most more like broader categories. Yeah, totally. Honestly, Adam, we should, we should chat through this more because I think that's something that we're, uh, we're kind of building out and seeing what that looks like is what those personas are. And also keeping in mind with just like what sports and like that sports kind of fan journey can look like and how we can really play a big part in the evolvement of someone's sports journey where they might be starting off as a pretty casual fan or somebody who honestly 
has never really felt like sports is for them, but over their, the course of them being a gister, they're all of a sudden watching every single NFL game because they got to set their fantasy lineup with the gist kind of thing is, is really interesting too. So you're right. There's, there's a lot of opportunity in what those personas are going to kind of going to look like for us down the line. And then what that looks like for our brand partners too, and how, how we're partnering and reaching them. Yeah, absolutely. You to to start to move a little bit into to trends in the overall media industry. You mentioned like in the last twelve months, you've already shifted some of your thoughts and 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 mindsets of of your own business. What's something that twelve months ago you wish you did that you missed or you relate to? This might be one that you've gotten a lot, Adam, but I definitely feel like there's something around just like that TikTok style content that's just so concise, direct that like short form video. I think when you say just like TikTok style content, you kind of know what I mean. That's just really taken off, has really shaped socials in general, has really shaped Instagram, um, which is a huge, Instagram is a huge platform for us. And one of the main ways that we not only disseminate our content, but really grow our newsletter list as well. Just the way that that kind of kind of content really engages Gen Zs in particular is impacting how they engage with brands, um, receive their news and really like any kind of content. I think it took off very quickly over the course of the pandemic. And there are some companies that did such an awesome job of really finding TikTok talent really early and like, and like growing with them. And, you know, we're scouting out now. And so if anyone's listening and, and wants to work for us on the TikTok side, we're all ears, but it's, it's a space that I think would have been great for us to to really tap into a year back and and kind of invest in a little bit earlier, especially as you know our Instagram following has really taken off, but the platform has really evolved into that style of content too. So that's one that it feels like we've been a little bit late to. So how, when you think about that, I think this is relatable. Um, most of us wish we were on TikTok earlier because the discoverability also, if you talk to Gen Z, they're like, email's dead. What are you doing? Um, maybe once they're full blown in the workforce, uh, they won't think that, but there is something that's shifted in the last year for almost every sports media company, which is the NIL change, allowing college athletes to get paid for promotion. Have you all started to take advantage of that at all? I feel like speaking of underrepresented, like some of the biggest male athletes in college are now getting million dollar endorsement deals uh, at 19 while they're still in school. Have you all started to explore that relationship with female athletes? Yeah, we have. It's still very early days for us and we're kind of excited for what that will look like. And I think I can share this, but we're, we're essentially launching into the college sports space later this year. There's so much opportunity there where, yeah, in terms of underserved fans and just underserved athletes that deserve more profile as well, we're just seeing so much opportunity. And honestly, again, demand from our gisters, like our gisters are also telling us that that's the kind of content that they want to see. So we're very excited for the NIL, just like legislature and all of those changes, but also just college sports in general, we're, we're super bullish on and see a lot of opportunity in, and we'll be actually launching dedicated college sports content um, later this year. Amazing. Uh, that's awesome. I'm glad you could share that. Yeah, it's like one year ago, almost to the day that that regulation changed. And uh, it's been ma- amazing to see the sports landscape change because of one rule. But I think it sets up companies like yours to, to be able to take advantage of amazingly talented young people who are trying to get their career started. What's a company that you think in the next 12 months, everyone's going to be paying attention to that no one's really thinking about today? When I think about 
what we, it feels like we might have been late to on the TikTok and that kind of user generated visual content trend. I think the way that things are going to continue to evolve is into platforms that are super authentic, more like grassroots, honestly, more like Snapchat style where it's much less um, like a highlight reel and more raw and authentic kind of content for, for specifically for your friends. So one of the key ones that our team's been having a lot of fun on, and that has been very top of mind for me is be real. It's like really taken off with Gen Z's in particular. I think it's getting quite a bit of VC attention as well, but it's a really similar ethos to Snapchat where it's um, essentially you have, I think it's like a two minute window every day to take a picture of what you're doing. And then once you share it, you can see like everything that your friends are doing when they took that exact same or the picture of like whatever they were doing at that moment as well. So it kind of leans into the everyday and sometimes probably the monotony of what you're doing. It's like so much less curated and edited version of your life that I think we've been seeing Gen Z really leaning into and millennials kind of slowly adopting as well. Another one, so Be Real is is more, yeah, you can take, I think it's like a video or a snap kind of image. Another one is Cappuccino FM that we've been seeing all over TikTok. And that's similar vibe, but it's a mini podcast for just your friend group as well. And just both of those, I think, are going to really take off, whether there's multiple kind of niche ones or whether there's like one that really is kind of the emerging platform. I think there is something about capitalizing on really like raw content, again, versus that kind of more highlight real Instagram-esque that um, is only going to continue to grow over the next 12 months. I think that everyone's really sick of that like over-edited version of yourself kind of thing. It's like uh, the anti-filter apps, right? Like that's essentially what it is. Like raw authenticity of like, this is who I am. This is what I want to share with my friends. Like I still want to share things. I just don't want the pressure of them, et cetera. Uh, and it's filled a nice hole. I think that's going to take off across all ages. It's like sooner or later. It's just the ad- adoption rate. Uh, those are two really good ones. Looking a little bit longer, would love to hear your thoughts. Your, your business is almost four years old, uh, just about. And I know this in, in that sense seems like very, very long from now. But in five years, what do you think will be totally different about the media industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question because five years, it's so funny. That feels like really long for us. Right. It's not long. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's really not. No, it's really not no. that far away. So no. um, it's it's good to try to get the wheels spinning right now. I think, I think in terms of the media industry and then thinking, and I think there is a layer of like sports on, on that as well. But from a media perspective, I think there is going to be only a need for more and more personalized content. And particularly for underserved audiences, I think that we've seen this emergence already, but that that's only going to grow that more kind of like grassroots, authentic, and again, really personalized content that feels like it's actually created for me is only going to be more and more important. I think local content is only going to be more and more important. We kind of have seen that peter off. And I think we're in this interesting place where local news newspapers and what have you, like we're in this kind of transition phase, but I do think that local news and generally just local content is going to always be, and maybe not always, because I don't feel like it has enough emphasis or investment right now, but is like a really core component to the media landscape and content that you're receiving and that you're engaging with. 
certainly when we think about it from a sports lens. And then the third thing I think is there's going to be even more of a need to really demonstrate one's authenticity and real dedication to social, economic, political issues to really win over audiences. That's probably something that we're already seeing. And maybe it's more shorter term than five years, like with Disney, and we're seeing that play out in many ways. But that was something that when we were starting the gist, we decided really early on that that would be a big differentiator for us, partially because we were super frustrated at the lack of a an actual stance that traditional sports media will often take on some of these more contentious issues. And I think that that demand for that is only going to grow. And I think that's going to be really like table stakes for media companies in the years to come. I think you did a, by the way, it stuck out to me and it was, it was like really sweet, but it, it actually like, I do believe like the personalization matters. Uh, I think that trend is right. But when you're representing yourself as a brand, it's actually more difficult to feel personality, if that makes sense. Um, there's a difference. And when you go to your site today, um, this uh, podcast was recorded a, a day after the Texas uh, shooting. And you all have a line right above your newsletter where you're like calling that out and wishing well. And like that just like was like, wow, uh, that you're not seeing that across other media publications particularly when you go to like a sports one, like you're like, huh, I didn't like really think about that. And it brought like a personal touch that I think that's exact. If that's like, you're obviously going for that in like a really authentic way, but it actually allows a consumer to connect with the brand in like a way that like, you know, there's a human behind there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think it's something that we've worked really hard to find that balance while also, you know, we don't have in the same way that um, like a bar stool, for instance, like an overtime as well has like talent and is really like personality led. We have like a huge team, not, not, not a huge team for us. It feels huge right now. Um, but we have so many contributors behind what the voice is. And so sometimes it's like that many to one, but you want to make it feel like one to one relationship, which can be really difficult. I think when you don't have like one person as, as the face of, of your content, but it's something that we have worked really hard on to really build that relationship and make it really feel personalized and, and to just build up that kind of like trust and relationship with, with each of our gisters. So I appreciate you noticing that because that's been um, something that's definitely been a focus of ours. Yeah. I mean, I, I routinely, I mean, it's part of work week's brand. I routinely talk about how personalities are, are the trend that I, I see in the future. And I, I see a lot of individual personalities every person in the world pushes back and says like brands aren't going to go away and they're not wrong. Um, it's just more difficult actually to like create connection. And so it's interesting to hear that like you've, you've put like thought into humanizing yourself and then getting your voice down. And, and I think when you do that over time, you actually have big advantages when it's just a single brand, that's just a harder lift to actually ha have. Totally. And it's something that we've kind of gone back and forth on and continue to honestly as well. But it does feel like the, just like the vision and mission of what we are, like we don't necessarily in many ways want to be tied to one personality or face. And maybe that's multiple too. And maybe that's what we're evolving into. But I think there's a lot of value behind it being not like a blanket approach. Like that's not the right word because that's the opposite of personalization. It's easier to go one to many than many to one and keep consistency and brand. And so like that, those two consistency and brand is what actual personalization is, right? But to be able to do it just with that example on the site, I was like, wow, they like give a shit. And like, it makes it feel like someone cares. And that's the way to to continue. 
thinking about five years from now, again, keeping the mindset, what is like exactly the same for you? Uh, what hasn't changed in media? One of the th- key things that will not change is that live sports will remain just a huge draw. But I do think there will be a lot of changes in how audiences are tuning in, like whether they're actually watching a broadcast and watching a game end to end. We're already seeing that that isn't really happening. We're certainly seeing our younger gisters, especially aren't watching the broadcast, but there is something about live sports and an event happening live. I think it's one of the the last things like we've seen the decline in award shows and, and all those other kind of live events. But I think live sports and just how that story unfolds in real time is going to remain a kind of anchor piece in in sports and also in media. But I think the key change around that will be, yeah, more how audiences are then interacting with that event and kind of consuming that event. I think that those media brands that are offering kind of opportunities off of live sports or those that will really flourish, it's certainly something that we think a lot about and have been testing certain aspects where you know, you can drive community off of a live sports event through viewing parties or live chats or that second screen experience. Immersive experiences have been really exploding and I think will continue to around live sports as well. Of course, sports betting is a huge category that's only going to grow and just generally more of this kind of gamification opportunities off of live sports will, I think, be again, like table stakes kind of in the next five years. But I do think that there is something about a live game that yeah. just like not knowing what's going to happen that will always be kind of at the core of the sports media landscape. I didn't think live sports, particularly baseball, could like change. Um, <laughs> it's one of the few sports like that doesn't have actually a growing live audience because it's long. And if you're not, so a, big ba- not a big baseball <laughs> fan, it's kind of boring. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the Savannah Bananas have you seen this yet? No. You have to go look it up. There's a minor league baseball team called Savannah Bananas. Oh my gosh, yes I have. They're so good. They're amazing and they're like <laughs> totally changing the way that live baseball is done and all their fans wear banana costumes and their players like dance in the middle of the thing. It's like hilarious. It is like entertainment baseball and they're like record record minor league attendance and like it's going and so I think like live live entertainment won't ever go away. People want that. I do think there could be like an evolution to how it's particularly executed, which is Savannah Bananas. If you haven't go look it up, we'll put in the show notes of the YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. There's a, yeah, and baseball itself is an interesting one. We're, we're always kind of, and, and we're, we work with some of the leagues as well in terms of how they are evolving and engaging different audiences and different fans than they traditionally have been. And I think, yeah, the Savannah Bananas is such a good example of a, uh, there are certainly ways to innovate that also aren't AR crazy, like Cost tech forward experiences. Yeah. That's, that's just like people at their core want to be entertained and want to laugh and, and have like that escape from reality and sports can really offer that. And that I think that those leagues, teams, but also media platforms in general that lean into that and recognize that, that like skewing and kind of straying from that more traditional model is like what you have to do are the ones that are going to be successful and see that growth over the next five years too. 
Yeah, Erica Nardini, um, CEO of Barstool, just recently, you know, Barstool laid off a, a bunch of uh, staff uh, in the last couple of weeks, and she talked about how their most successful content they've ever monetized, made, reach all the metrics that you would use, is all from pre having producers, editors, multiple cameras, and she basically was like, it doesn't require. Like to create great content doesn't require high production. Like those two things aren't correlated. And when I think about the Savannah Bananas, like there's all these like 4D cameras and everything that like all these sports teams are trying to do to enhance the experience. And it's like literally just like have your players dance on the field to like a song and encourage everyone to wear a banana suit and you like changed your entire gaming experience. Totally. And now we're talking about them and there's like a level of... I think like removing the ego, removing the like traditional, yeah, just way of doing things that I think the sports industry in particular can feel and can just get really stuck in, especially with, you know, certain like older leaders that maybe have been around for a while. It's like the not taking yourself too seriously and yeah, just like having fun with it. That I think is what like really gets things to the next level. Barstool, where like can't agree with like a lot of the content, but has done such a great job at really leaning into that too, in many ways. There's a real, like I say this all the time about Barstool, there's a real lesson of like execution uh, from there, not necessarily about the content choices and decisions made, but uh, understanding that all of us, I think it's really easy for our egos to get caught up into like, we need this thing and we have to look like, we have to look like ESPN or from the business side, you have to look like MSNBC, CNBC. And it's like, you don't. You could film it on your camera and be funny and be creative and like take off the constraints and you can create really good content from that, that like your audience like thinks is personal and for them. And so I, uh, it's exciting to, to see you guys leaning into that, even from the little stuff on your website. So with that, it was amazing to have you on. I would love to have you on again. Where can folks follow you on, on Twitter and, and subscribe to the newsletter? Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Adam. We are at the So you can subscribe to the newsletter there on Instagram and Twitter. We're at the gist USA um, is our US handle for any Canadian folks at the gist CA is where, where you can find us on all social platforms. I also love you're in Canada. I didn't bring it up, but uh, <laughs> I, any non New York uh, media folks I can meet, I'll, I'll always, uh, always encourage uh, the, <laughs> the non bubble. Oh, that's great because it was, sometimes it's a challenge. Oh, being you're on telling this side me. I'm, I'm in Texas. Uh, it's <laughs> it's uh, difficult around here. Uh, yeah. But I, uh, I really appreciate coming on. Look forward to talking next time and, and see you then. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time. <laughs>